Rock Bible Church. Good to see you this morning. Congratulations to all our grads. We have some uh, several, quite a few high schoolers, and then we actually have a couple college kids, and just so proud of them. A lot of them graduating this week, and then I just want to say my heart goes out to those who are taking finals this coming week. I know we've got a couple in our house uh, that are taking finals this week, so... Um, there you have it. Hey, uh, just a couple other things I want to mention before we uh, get into our passage. Uh, men's group continues this week. So uh, Monday night we'll be uh, back at Porky's, 7 p.m. And then Wednesday morning, men's fraternity, 6 a.m. right in here. We'd love to see you. We're about to wrap up uh, the Wednesday morning. I think we only have two lessons left and then we're done for the summer. Um, but then Porky's, our Monday night thing is going to continue on and off and we'll announce each week as we're going to be available. Um, do we have like a echo from the mic or is it just me hearing that? Okay. Maybe our lovely team can work on that for a second. So, um, and then I got a fun little announcement. No, no, we're not. No. He, he retired. His, his record deal got canceled. Um, uh, fun little announcement at the end today, right before we leave. So not a big deal, but kind of a big deal. Actually, it is a big deal, but that's a commercial. Now I'm going to make you wait through a whole sermon. It's going to be fun. Hey, uh, we are about to wrap up Hosea. We've been in this book, this great Old Testament prophet book, uh, for a while now. We're going to do chapter 13. We have one left after today. Uh, and so we'll have to wait a couple because next week we'll be in Mexico. I'm leaving and going down with uh, the team. Please be praying for us, uh, for the safety and the Holland Becks and that ministry and then the family that we're building for. Uh, but in two weeks, we'll be wrapping up Hosea and then starting a new series. New series in the book of making you wait for that one too. Oh, not fair, not fair. Uh, Hosea chapter 13, that's what we're gonna do this morning. Um, and I was having a little fun this week, getting ready for this one. I think it, I, we're going to enjoy it. Um, and I might be a little bit corny at the end, but you'll get it, and I think it'll fit. So uh, let's pray, and, uh, and then we'll jump in. Lord, thanks for our morning, and thanks for all the things that you let us be a part of, whether it be working through a program that we graduate from or put on a program for children in the summer invest in people across the world who are trying to build their relationship with you or start a relationship with people down south who are trying to pull themselves out of difficulty. I pray in all of that, Lord, we'd see first and foremost you and that everything that we do starts with our relationship with you. What we pursue should always be a backseat to our pursuit of you. Pray that we'd see that this morning uh, from your passage, from your word. Pray that you'd guide it, uh, what's said, what's heard, and how it's interpreted. And we uh, ask your blessing on this time through your spirit in honor of your son, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Hosea chapter 13, verse 1. Uh, when Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel. Uh, Hosea's pointing back to, you know, there was a time when things were going well. You know, it used, it used to go pretty well. Um, hey, how's it going? 
Sorry. But he incurred guilt through Baal and died. <laughs> Sorry. I, get to, I got a little bit of distraction there. Um, this, is, this verse is kind of, um, it's like a summary, or maybe it's the title for the whole chapter. Um, you can be doing well, and then you can get distracted. It's a weird Sunday. You can be doing well, and then they incurred guilt through Baals and died. Baals mean they started worshiping something other than God, a false god, idols, something like that. Um, and how'd that turn out for them? What's the last two words in verse one? And died. And died. Okay, so there, there's, there's the path to God, and all other paths lead to not working. Let's just say it like that. We don't want to be hellfire and brimstone. Um, but chapter, uh, verse two, and now they sin more and more. Turning from God gets easier. Um, here's the easiest way to recognize it. You know, when you um, try a new dish and maybe you've never had it before or it's a new version of a dish, you've had it before, but it was never like this. And then you have it and you're thinking, I need more of that, right? It gets easier and easier to go after that dish, that food, craving it, thinking, hey, maybe we can get there Friday night. I'm going to save up my money. I'm bringing the whole family, whatever. It, whatever anything that we do, any choice, gets easier the more we choose it. Now, can that be true on the positive side? The more you choose to come to church, the more you block out time on Sunday morning, the more you uh, put a portion of your money and donate it to God, the more you say, I'm going to work and serve in a ministry. I'm going to go help so-and-so. Uh, three times a year, we're going to do this. I'm going to make a list and I'm going to pray every day. The more you do those things, they become easier. Um, the scary part is it's, it's rough because on the flip side, that's true as well. Oh, auntie's coming to town. I think we're going to skip church this week. Oh, it was graduation. We stayed up late. We'll, we'll go next week. Uh, I'm saving money, so I'm not going to donate. Someone else can serve in the kids' camp. Um, the Vietnamese, they'll be fine because there's lots of people already donating. There's all kinds of excuses we can come up for it to get worse. Right? And more should probably always be paired with more. More and more. Now the question is just which mores do we chase? Which ones are we looking toward? Uh, they made for themselves metal images. Um, so these images, who crafted them? They're, they're man-made, right? Uh, idols skillfully made of their silver. Why would their silver, why would their be important there? If it's their silver, then whose silver is it not? Right? So I think that that's there on purpose to say they thought it was their silver. They thought it was their work that was making stuff happen. All of them, the work of craftsmen, so not the work of, right? Here we go. And it's said of them, those who offer human sacrifice, kiss calves. Now stay on that screen right there. I love that sentence. Right? I love this. I've. I was reading, you can imagine I came across this study and getting ready. And I thought, ooh, what is this? And I'm starting to look up stuff and I'm laughing to my, no one's around and I'm laughing to myself. We're a bunch of calf kissers. 
right? I, I messed with that phrase for a little bit. Um, it didn't make it into the sermon, by the way, because I didn't want it to get too corny, except for I just said it, so it didn't make it into the print form. Um, but what is this about? Those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves. That's weird. All right, let's, um, let's break this down. Have you heard of human sacrifice before? Yeah, they were kind of into that from time to time, different places. Not so much uh, the Jews or the Hebrews, but there were other uh, people groups around them that did that. You know what kissing is? You sure? We've heard of it, right? Yeah, it's a thing you do only when you're engaged. You kiss for the first time at the wedding when the when the minister says, and now you may kiss the bride. I think I've heard something about that. Okay, uh, we're going to wipe that away because I'm going to redefine it for you in a minute. Let's start at the end, calves. Where have you heard calves before? And I don't mean like an agricultural report or like we went to In-N-Out and any of that kind of stuff. Um, they don't use calf meat, by the way. In the Bible, how far can you go back in Scripture to think of the first reference where you heard calves? There's a golden calf. Ooh, that sounds fun. That must be really good. A golden calf. Where was it found? This interactive portion of the morning, we're um, giving out points. You could get a star by your name on the chalkboard. Anybody remember that? Okay. For fear of I just made this church older. Um, what was the golden calf about? Anybody remember what book we're in? We're in Exodus. Here's Moses, played like by Sean Connery or somebody cool, right? Um, he goes up the mountain to talk with God. God calls them up to the mountain. They're being rescued from Egypt, from slavery. They're going to the promised land. Now, they were struggling back and forth as to how often they obeyed and did the instructions. But he says, go up to the top of the mountain. I'm going to speak with you. He stands before God. God gives him what? Ten commandments. It's a great story. A couple good movies about it. Down at the bottom of the mountain, what was the crowd doing? They were making a golden calf because they were um, pooling all their investments to get a return and then we could build a temple later. What was, why were we building a golden calf? Worship. To worship. Now, I told you I wanted to redefine kiss for you. Kiss of a calf. What's kiss? Say that word again. It's worship. The idea of a kiss, the kiss of God, right? Or this thing that we would kiss, the hand of God. What we kiss is what we worship. And back in those days, this idea of calves, for some reason, I mean, they would worship them. Source of several things we need, right? We won't get into that. Um, but I know for some of us, we say, oh, well, we don't have to worry about worshiping calves anymore. I mean, I know there's some cultures that still worship calves, but we don't do that anymore. Not the point. If you're worshiping calves, who have we just left out? God. Um, and then, so that's one thing. We've left out God, but watch the irony here. What are we doing to the humans? Humans. 
We've exalted calves and we're killing people. You're so messed up. You're more and more has progressed to the point that you're chasing things that are deteriorating your judgment, your values, your logic to where you think human life is worth throwing aside. And But these calves, oh my goodness. Did you see the tail on that calf? I mean, why are we worshiping an animal that... Now, don't worry. We have no pursuits today that emulate that kind of relationship. Or do we? We pursue money. We pursue status. We pursue social media. We pursue power. I mean, there's so many things. Influence. Hosea is saying, careful if you get it backwards. And the fastest way to get something backwards is to take the thing at the front and move it from the front. No matter what you have, you're backwards. Well, Scott, you could be sideways. No, yeah, but sideways maybe. If you take the first thing out of first, you're backwards. And this is what Jose is saying. It's like, you know, you had it. You had it. Get it factor in everything. And you, you tossed it aside. You started doing your own thing, right? Verse two is just doing their own thing. I made this, my stuff. And you got to the point where people lost their value and you elevated things that are really not valuable. They're more tools. Their value comes from what God has us use them for. Goofy. Um, could you do that last sentence with your business? Oh, I'm sorry. This is the lecture portion of the um, sermon is on hold from a, we're back into the interactive portion of the morning. Could you do the last sentence with your business? Um, could you do the last sentence uh, with your spouse? Money? Computer? Could you do it with your church? You could. Right? Um, we have to be careful that what we do does not sacrifice humans, right? Now, any guesses if we're coming back to this later? Good guess. All right, let's keep going. Uh, verse three, therefore they shall be like the morning mist or like the dew that goes early away. Love that phrase. Not the first time he's used it in Hosea, by the way. The dew that goes early away. If you get it back to, uh, backwards and you start messing it up, it once, one, it leads to death and, and I'll make you disappear, God says. You don't want me? Great. He doesn't mean great like he wants that or he values that. But I can, I can accept your decision. I can believe you when you say you don't want me. But notice you're going to be like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor or like smoke from a window. Right? How long does smoke last once it comes out a window? You can see it for a second, and I think that was smoke. Was, was that? I don't know. All right, back to what we were doing. You become an afterthought. But I am the Lord, your God, verse 4. Why, why would he need to say that? You, you know, it's the weirdest thing. You know how often this phrase shows up in Scripture? It's all over the place. 
Uh, don't do a search. Just know that it'll come up hundreds and hundreds of times. Why does he have to keep telling us that he's God? Is he forgetting? No, no it's he, it's it, We keep doing things and acting in such a way. It's like, hey, do you, do you remember? Hello, McFly, right? Uh, I'm the Lord your God, and not just the Lord your God, but from the land of Egypt. Right? We're back to that reference to Exodus with the calves. And you know no God but me. What did he just do to all the idols, all the silver, all the craftsmen work from previous verse? That's just stuff, people. It's just materials. There is no existence of any other God. In fact, we get to the New Testament and Paul uh, talks about this and points this out. You know, there, there is no such thing as a false God. In reality, but there's idols in each of us. We chase things of no value, and God says, um, you're chasing a not God. Right? You know no God but me. That's about as true as it gets. <clears throat> All right, keep uh, moving with it. And, and besides me, there is no what? Interesting. He started talking about a Savior. Old Testament, we're starting to talk about a Savior. Right? Uh, by the way, I like this verse and thought it was so key to the passage that that's what we put at the top of your outline, right? Verse four, you know no God but me, and besides me, there is no Savior. I think Hosea is maybe secondarily in his priorities, pointing to this Messiah that's coming later. We're going to see a little bit of Jesus in this. Um, here it comes. I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought, when they came out of Egypt, right? They were in the wilderness for a while. There was drought for a bit. Uh, and when they had grazed, they became full. And when they were full, filled, it up. What, what was, their heart was lifted up. What's that? It's a common phrase in scripture. Like when your heart's lifted up, let me give you some examples. You're at a graduation and your kid walks across. Your heart's lifted up. You're at a wedding, and they say, I do, and they kiss. Your heart's lifted up, right? You get a phone call, and, uh, sir, we've decided to offer you the position. Your heart's lifted up. What's, what is heart's lifted up? Feeling good, right? When they're feeling good, therefore they forgot me. I'm doing pretty well now. Thanks, God, for getting me where I am. I'll see you later when I need you again. What's wrong with that thinking? It's, it's, it's assuming that need is temporal. Oh, I'm doing really well right now. I don't need God right now. That's a fallacy. It's bad theology. What keeps good going? I would argue when things are going really well, that's when you need God most. Why? We're on a streak. We're on a roll, right? We haven't lost a game in 32 days, right? Let's, let's keep at it, right? I was watching baseball. I, I don't know why. I think I was being punished, but um, I, they put a stat on the thing, the longest current hitting streak in the league, 23 at-bats. And there were two guys that had 
23 consecutive at-bats with a hit. And I thought, that's amazing because I couldn't even get one hit, right? And, and the guy batting was one of those guys. And what did he do? No. He got to 24, right? Why is it as humans we always wish for people to fail, right? Oh, he missed, right? Yeah, he's not that much better than me. No, when it's going well, we want it to keep going well. We always need him, and we should never forget him, therefore, right? That's where the logic leads to. So, verse 7, I am to them like a lion, like a leopard that will protect them and keep them safe all the time. Is that what it's saying? I will lurk beside the. I would love to have a lion or a leopard that protected me. How cool would that be? Right? I wouldn't be cool for other people. Right? Uh, I'll be like a leopard. I will lurk beside the way. I will fall upon them like a what? Like a bear robbed of her cub. Let's go back a second. And, and I want to apologize in advance for this one. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Okay, now we can keep going. All right, that almost made it into the print copy, but we didn't do it. Um, I will tear, tear open their breast, and there I will devour them like a lion, as a wild beast would rip them open. Ouch. Can we avoid this? Folks. That is one of the most catastrophic non-answers in the history of the church. Okay, we're, we're going on 12 years now. Okay, folks, right? Is all that stuff avoidable? Yes. Okay, I mean, it has to be, or let's go sell cars. Right, let's go do something else. Let's figure out how do we avoid this. Because verse 9, he destroys you, O Israel, uh, for you are against me, against your what? Helper, um, any, any clues as to how do we avoid that above stuff from this next verse? He destroys you, uh, or why? Because, or for, you are what? Against me. How do you avoid that stuff? Before him rather than against him, right? And when you're for him, what do you get? Clues, the last word. You get help, Right? There, there's something about the human condition where we pursue this um, independence, self-sufficiency. I can do it. I can take care. I don't need anybody. Oh, folks, I'm so sorry. I mean, the very, very beginning of the book. We talked about this on Monday night at Porky's with the guys. It is not good for man to be Alone. This is said of humankind, not just males, although we know it's true of males, especially if we're females, we know it's true of males. It is not good for us to be alone. What does that mean? He designed you not good alone. Now, is good possible? What do you need? The next sentence is the key. It's not good for man to be alone. I will make them a helper. You need help. The moment that you acknowledge, accept, own, enjoy, almost exalt the idea that you are needy, you're like 90% of the way there. Because now everybody around you has value because they can add something to what you need. 
any idea if you think God designed it that way on poor purpose, on porpoise, um, so that we are mutually necessary to force interaction. I mean, are, are men and women like pretty different as about as much as it gets? Let's just, it's a premise, okay? We'll go with that. Why would he make them so different? Because they have different things they provide and they have different needs. And when they can figure out how to cooperate, that's, that's where good's supposed to come, right? And God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Tov mahod, right? That's your English or Hebrew phrase for the day. Um, uh, where now is your king? Verse 10, to save you in all your cities. This is fun. Because once they got to the promised land after Egypt and after all that stuff and after kissing the calves and the whole thing, they get to the promised land and, and what do they say? How, how come they got a king and we don't? That's not fair. God said, you know what you're asking for? Oh, you wanted a king. And here we get to Hosea and says, hey, where's your king? Oh, what's he been doing for you? Right? Is he saving you? I mean, did he use that word on purpose to mock what was said earlier? There is no savior other than me. There is no savior besides me, right? So your king's not saving you. Next slide. Where are all your rulers, those whom you said, give me a king and princes? I gave you a king in my anger and I took him away in my wrath. You thought a king, princes, or rulers were going to save it. Guess what? I'm in charge of all of them. I put them in place and I take them out. I do whatever I want. Whoa. That's weird. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is kept in store. The pangs of childbirth come for him. But he is an unwise son. For at the right time, he's do not, he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. What is this? Is this like uh, the husband of the wife and she's in birth, you know, and, and he's about to have his son and, and she's giving birth and he just doesn't show up? They didn't really do that back then. You didn't have the men present for the birthing. So this has to be something else, probably. Maybe not has to be. That might be too long, hard a phrase, right? Um, how about the person is the one in the womb that's supposed to be answering the, it's time for you to come out and be born and live and experience breath and all this stuff. Get your first spanking, whatever. And it's like, no, nah, I'll stay in the womb. Doing really well right here. What happens there? What's the end of that? If a, if a baby stays in the womb and just stays in the womb, what eventually both die? Yeah. Right? It's like an unwise son. It's time for you to present yourself and you, you don't show up. There's times where we're supposed to take initiative. Talk to God. Be obedient. Help somebody else. There's times where we worship. And when you don't take initiative, get yourself in trouble. Um, and by the way, Jesus took initiative. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was, I was, um, Robert, great email this week, by the way, uh, which reminded me, uh, Jesus took initiative in passive ways 
many times. Can you be passive and take initiative? Yeah. Can you take initiative without being aggressive? Yeah. Can you be peaceful and still present yourself or rise to the occasion and be responsible? Absolutely. Right? I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. <laughs> I think this is a pointing to the idea of, I mean, not, not even death is in control here. By the way, your kings and your rulers and your princes, they're not in control. Uh, the stuff you made with the silver and those idols, they're not in control. Uh, by the way, death's not in control either. I can redeem you from the... Did he just say redeem? Is he a redeemer? Have we just talked about the helper, the savior, the redeemer? Huh. Are we painting a picture of Christ to come? We sure are. Oh, death... Where are your plagues, O Sheol? Where is your sting? Is God mocking them? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Though he may flourish among his brothers, the east wind, the wind of the Lord shall come, rising from the wilderness, and his fountain shall dry up, his spring shall be parched, it shall strip his treasury. Stay here. Um, uh, you're going to get wilderness, right? Is, what's going to come? Fountain, no water. Your spring, no water. Your money, don't have that either. He's slowly saying all the different things that you think are resources can be eliminated like that. If all your resources are stripped, what's the only resource you're left with? We're at church, I asked a question. God. At some point, we have to keep the first thing in the first place. Then the rest of the resources become tools. They become used, and actually might actually grow those for you so that you can use them to his glory. But when we get those things back where he says, oh, well, I know how to um, eliminate the things that are in front of me so that I come back to being in first place. There's a great verse in the New Testament. Paul writes that he might come to have first place in all things. Wonderful. Love the symmetry of scripture too, if you really look at it. Uh, next slide. Shall strip his treasury of every precious thing. Samaria shall bear her guilt because she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. Their little ones shall be dashed in pieces and their pregnant women ripped open. Ouch. This the imagery's rough. Like you won't be born, so I'm gonna have to rip open the pregnant woman, right? But now it's too late because... You're going to die anyways. Um, ha happy Sunday. <laughs> May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. I think. What are we to take from this? I, I want you to see that it's possible. What What's possible? I'm going to get dashed into pieces. No, the, all the positives are possible. Let's, let's jump into this. Grab your um, outlines. And I think this should be, I hope... Um, a lesson in, in the study of Scripture rather than just the reading of Scripture. Because we have to be able to pull out some things that really point to what's going on. Um, and I, I was looking at this and thinking, what, what's the theme here? What's going on in this section of 16 verses? Well, they're rebelling. They're a bunch of rebels. And I thought to myself, yeah, they're rebels without a God. They have a God, but 
but they don't. They've forgotten him and moved on, and then it gets dark, and they've got all this swords and negative stuff. Man, I, I don't like the dark. And I realized they were never rebels without a God. They were just rebels and forgot their God. So they're really rebels with a God because there are no other gods and you can't get rid of God, so he's there. So if you're going to rebel, he's still there. Hence today, Hosea chapter 13, rebels with a God. The question is now, what are you doing with him? Because you can go dark side, right? Don't give in to the dark side, Luke, right? Or you can experience the good stuff, right? Uh, what's that last word in that verse right there? Four, four. You, we have a savior. I'm the God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me. We can have that experience. If we look for that in the passage, what do we see? Uh, number one is this. It's, re, it's easy to replace God in his role as savior and redeemer. As we went through the passage, I pointed out each of those words. Make sure you saw them so that they would make sense here. It's easier to replace God? Or, or was that supposed to be God? Typo. Scotty B. Typo, I guess. It's easy to replace God in his role as Savior, Helper, and Redeemer. Can God save you from things? Notice this combination, though. Can he give you help? And then redeemer, is that's like a, that's a Bible word where we say, oh, it must be good, but don't ask me what it means. I hope the teacher doesn't call on me. Scotty, define what is redeemer, right? What would you say? Okay. Savior, you're in trouble, and they show up and give you a ride, and now you're on time. Trouble is appeased, right? And they get in their car and they drive away. Did they save you? Yes. Did they help you? Once you got to your thing, they left. It's possible to be saved but not helped. It's possible. If they helped you, they'd show up in the car, pick you up, get you there. They're on time. Then they help you carry all the stuff in. Were you saved? Yes. Were you helped? Yes. And then once they help you get all the stuff there and set up, in a, then they leave. And the party starts. And you got saved and you got help. But how'd the party go? We don't know yet. They could show up, give you a ride, help you carry the stuff, and then stay and make sure the party goes well. Redeem is to make good. That's the most simple, right? To redeem is to like remove sin, remove guilt, offer you forgiveness, show you grace. There's lots of great terms in all of scripture that give us this idea that you've been redeemed, right? The great uh, song, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, right? Well, you've been redeemed, what's happened? You've been saved, helped, and made good. Now, what I like about this is you can't be saved, helped, and redeemed in one instant. No, it takes a little while to drive the car and get you there on time with loading the stuff and then setting up this stuff. And then who knows how long the party goes. I mean, yesterday it was like 12-something hours, right? Built a little thing uh, for uh, my daughter, graduated, right? 
had a bunch of people and there was food and backyard and the whole thing. And that, that takes a, a long time. Is our relationship with the Lord meant to be an instant? Or is it meant to be a long time of us experience what is the true nature of being saved or salvation? What does help look like over time? I tell you what, I want that. I don't want help in my first at bat. So I get my first hit and then it's over, career's done. What do I want? I want to break the streak. I want to get to 25 hits in a row. Right? I want overtime help regularly, especially if I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. There's a song we remember. If I know I'm going to misstep later, hey, coach, can you stay with me? Hey, mom, can you stay? Hey, brother, hey, spouse, uh, can you walk with me? Hey, boss, hey, coworkers. I, when I get there, I'm going to need some help. And then when I get there, does, it, does, it, does this one bother you? Like you're fixing something or you're setting up something and people you're with want to do the very least. What's the minimum we can do? All we got to do, let's just pull this off. Just, we'll give them something, that's it. But, but at least we gave them something. They should be grateful that we tried at all. I hate that. Right? Well, at least we didn't run out of food. That's your standard of measure? Come on. What was the food like? That was all right. No. When you go, you want five different types of sandwiches with amazing ingredients, freshly cut, all that stuff. At least someone made it for you, right? The best sandwich. What's the best sandwich in the world? One someone else made for you, right? I didn't have to make it, right? The second best is free, right? We want help because we want it to go well. We want it to be good. If, if that's God's goal for us, hey, he's saying it over and over. Why you replace me? Why you, other verse, forget me? But they forgot me. How easily do you forget God? How easily do you replace him? How easily do you chase things you think are going to pay off for you? And you say, well, I'll solve it or I'll handle it or my family will or the business will or Scott and the church will. No. I promise to never solve anything for you. In our pursuit of you having a great relationship with the Lord, I promise to never do anything for you. There you go. What a jerk. You get the sarcasm? We're meant to have that relationship with God ourselves rather than someone else enable you. Well, I get all of my teaching from Scott and Brent when he preaches, and that's enough. What? Folks, that was the road to destruction for me. I was lied to at church for years about all kinds of stuff from the Bible, and I finally got sick of it because I started reading it for myself and saying, wait a minute, it doesn't say that. I start reading it for myself, and then now I listen to other people that read it too, and guys that I like, and some of them I put on time and a half speed on the podcast because they talk too slow. But then I get through like uh, 40 minutes and you know, 30, 28 or whatever. We gotta have more sources of how we pursue the Lord, our self, rather than, well, 
my dad was a charter member. He helped pay for the building or whatever. No. If your daddy's name's on some building, I'm sorry. What? Yeah, if you take value in that, as a, somehow that makes you good, no. That's a story about your daddy. And good for him. And I'm happy for you. But go figure out where you put your name on a building. But let's move on from naming buildings. How about that? Um, second one. Oh, man, I've been waiting for this one. Ready? Before you kiss. What's kiss? It's worship. Do we go out and worship things? We establish that. Are there things that distract us from the Lord that we replace God with? Absolutely. And what was the verse? They do human sacrifice and kiss calves. Ready? Before you kiss, check for hooves. <laughs> There's things that we pursue and we have to ask the question, does this resemble a calf? Is this gonna get in the way of my relationship with the Lord? Is this gonna hurt someone around me? Is this gonna get in the way of me being a blessing, of me loving my neighbor? If that's true, it probably has hoofs. It's gonna send you the wrong direction. Now, know this. Many of the things that you pursue are wonderful and great. And you know how they got hooves? You put them on it. Money is great. It really is. Who created it? When does it go bad? When we put hooves on it. When we make it too important, oh, now it's got a tail. Right? And it drops nasty stuff along the road. Is the internet great? I don't want to answer that one, Scott. When does the internet become bad? When you put hooves on it and you use it for the wrong thing, use it to pursue or whatever, information, or trash somebody on social media. Have we all decided to, to, to stop doing social media? Environments lately with friends and family at events that are happy with great food and blah, blah, blah. And, and cameras start coming out to phone pictures. And I how many times I've heard people say, oh, yeah, yeah, take a picture, but don't post it on social media. They're taking the hooves off. I mean, if you need a recipe for chili or something, yeah, go on social media. How important you are, your status at the church, what you think your spouse should or should not have done, that's putting hooves on stuff. When you become a judge or you become indulgent, there's so many ways for us to take God's gifts to us and twist them to where uh, they've lost their value for a moment. Can they get their value back? How do you do that? Take the hooves off, right? Guys, when I'm playing a funny word game with stuff, feel free to play along, right? You can take the hooves off, right? Before you kiss, before you chase something, what will be the result? Can you find it in Scripture? Does it not talk about it directly in Scripture, kind of to the side it talks about that, and it's never been a practice churches and, da -da, and you're just making an excuse to go do something you really want to do. Mm, it's got hoofs. Really got to be careful with that. Um, by the way, we're doing that with sexuality and we're doing it with gender in ways that are just unconscious. Unborn children, all that kind of stuff. Right? Do we do politics? 
No, we're not putting hooves on that. Right? What we are doing is, is we're going to kiss God. We're going to see what he says about stuff, and then we're going to believe him. Do we need to understand it to believe it? Say no. And here's how you know, here's the reverse logic on that. It makes absolutely no sense to kiss a golden calf and kill people, but we can get to that place as humans because deep down, we really don't care if it makes sense. And I was introduced to this concept a few weeks back by my counselor. <gasps> you have a counselor? Yes, I have two, and they're glorious. They introduced me to the concept that we don't really drive things by what we think. What do you think about that? Ironic, right? Pun intended. We don't drive things by what we think. How do you feel about that? Well, I don't know. I'll have to think about it. Oh, really? For the most part, our heart drives most everything. And we use our head to justify. I wonder if God's heart drives what God does and he uses his intellect and his ability to make things happen based on what is good. That's a little experiment I'm on for right now. I'll let you know how it turns out, right? We've got to really be careful of what we're pursuing, okay? Lastly, Jesus is the human sacrifice. <gasps> Wasn't it talking about human sacrifices and kissing calves? And what does God do a couple generations later? Couple being a loose term. Many generations later, God says, oh, you like human sacrifice? That's what gets your attention? Have, have you ever asked yourself the question of all the ways God could reveal himself and redeem and grace and prove and get our attention of all the different ways he could have done it any way he wanted? Human sacrifice? What? Why? I wonder if just there was one little piece of it, not the whole piece, one little piece of that culture and all the cultures around it, they understood human sacrifice. And I think God said, yeah, you can't even do that well. Let me show you how to do this the right way. I think it is absolutely hilarious that Jesus comes after all this human sacrifice stuff. He becomes the human sacrifice. That's what we should be kissing. Not all the calves, Right? By the way, are there a lot of calves around? Are there little things for us to worship? Are there a lot of distractions? Are there things that get under our skin? How easily do you get angry? How, what do you think is funny and so funny, but it hurts other people? I mean, is Jesus the human sacrifice in the midst of your herd? There's a herd of calves around, folks. You can find them anywhere. Turn around, you'll find seven. Walk out those doors and everybody around you, when you get out those doors, surrounded by calves. They got things they pursue. That's it. Are you getting tired of it? My hair has to look this way. I need to wear these kind of clothes. I mean, it bugs me that I was trying to figure out whether I should wear this shirt this morning because there's a freaking calf behind it somewhere. We have to figure out how do we avoid, where's my herd? I mean, I know I had a typo earlier. We got a herd up there, guys? Herd, there you go. 
Jesus the human sacrifice in the midst of your herd. We've got to figure out how do we follow God in the midst of anything else that's going on? He can be savior, he can be helper, he can be redeemer. It's a wonderful setup. It's the only one that works. Now, this is no longer the interactive portion of the morning. Please stay quiet when I ask this question. What are your calves? What are the things that snatch your attention? Let me rephrase. What are your core values? Those are totally different, Scott. Nope. What's important to you? What do you spend your money on? What for sure gets a time slot in your schedule? Which people do you take phone calls from? And which ones do you screen? There can be calves behind all of those things. What do you need to do to introduce that human sacrifice Jesus into those scenarios so that the people that you do come in contact with never become a human sacrifice from what you've done? And by the way, Who's the last human sacrifice that you want? It's a real easy one. Be selfish for a second. Who's the last human you want to sacrifice if it's up to you? Get a mirror. You have to take care of yourself and your relationship with the Lord. That's when you can become a blessing and enjoy Eternal life, right? Yeah, we came that we might have life and have an abundant, and we talk about his eternal life and he saved us from sin and all that kind of stuff. Um, when does that start? When we die. When we die, we get eternal life. No, you're alive right now. What if he, not what if, he meant for us to start experiencing eternal life as soon as we could acknowledge it? The scary part of the more and more is you become the human sacrifice. What can you give up? Uh, I want you to think about that. We're going to do communion in a moment. Um, and that's going to be your communion time thought today. Amen. Lord, thanks for uh, your word, this passage. The fact that in the midst of a negative example, you, you point to us as to who you are, what is important, what's in your heart. And we know, Lord, that we rebel, that it's easy, that we're good at it. I pray, Lord, that you would point us to what can draw us back. Give us eyes to see the reality of what's going on in all of our pursuits. Show us, Lord, what's dangerous and then what's beneficial. We thank you, Lord, uh, for 
all that we've seen today and how it points to your son, Jesus, and what he did on the cross. We're, we continue to be fascinated with why you chose that method and how it worked out and where it can play out for us today. If you're still asking those questions, you've never said, I want to be redeemed. I want to be saved, helped, and redeemed. Maybe that's your prayer today. You've been dancing around the church thing. You've been exploring God and questioning Jesus, but you've never said, I'm in. Maybe you ask him in today, and your prayer can be as simple as this. Lord, I want you to be my Savior, my Helper, and my Redeemer from this day forward. If that's you, let us know. Let us celebrate with you. Thank you, Lord, for the offer we're about to receive. Pray you bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. I love, the, I love the phrase from the first communion. On the night that he was betrayed. <laughs> it's so ironic. Today what I want you to focus on, what we just talked about and what Jesus says right after that. He says, remember. Our passage today says they forgot. Today we remember. And when we do this, we do it in remembrance of him. What is God asking you to remember of your pursuits today? Right? Jesus took the bread. He broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. We've pre-broken the bread. Just take one. He took the wine. He said, this is the blood of a new covenant. New covenant. As often as you do this, do this remember to me. Come on up, take a dip. We'll open the door. You can head out down the hallway back to your seat. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for Christ and his sacrifice. May we always take it seriously. And may we always remember. We do this in remembrance of you, Lord. Work in us. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.